You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. And today, we are going to talk about meat. You know, because it's good for you and because fake meat is bad for you. There, that was a whole episode. Okay, maybe there's a little bit more to it uh, than that. So we're going to talk about really honestly why I was a raw vegan. And we're going to talk about what negative things happened to me as a result of that very, very early. That was around 2004, actually, when I did that. Um, why it harmed me, why it is harming huge numbers of people, especially young people who don't feel the deficiencies as soon as it would if even if they were 30, uh, and what protein does to you and why different proteins are not the same. It's like I'm on a solid diet, which means I eat bricks all the time, right? Like, no, like different proteins do different <laughs> things. And plant-based protein doesn't mean anything. Even animal-based protein doesn't mean anything because I promise you that snot is an animal-based protein and you don't want to eat that, right? Like, it's meaningless. So we're going to teach you some real serious things about it, including the environmental effect um, of grass-fed meat and what it does for regenerative agriculture. This episode will be what you play for people who try to tell you that they're going plant-based for their health or for their environment. There is not an argument from either perspective for doing that. And we're just going to go through the science and explain why the only other reason, which is for spiritual reasons, um, is almost always an eating disorder or tra or trauma and possibly actually real. <laughs> um, our <laughs> guest today <laughs> is laughing already. It's going to be good. <laughs> um, she's only seasonally funny because her name is Autumn Smith. I know Chris is going to inject like a little little drum roll. I, I make I make really stupid and really elegant dad jokes when I drink Danger Coffee. I can't help it. It's because my brain works better. And like I'm, I can't even tell you all the bad things I'm going to say. I'm used also, to this. That's, that's awesome. I also have been traveling uh, for like uh, oh around I think twelve time zones over the last three days. So there's that. But I'm feeling awesome. So. Autumn, the reason, uh, or actually the reason Autumn's on the show is back about the time that I was launching uh, Bulletproof, she and her husband, Chaz, launched Paleo Valley, which is all about grass-fed everything, and they even have a regenerative meat delivery service called Wild Pastures. She also has a podcast called Optimize Paleo, where believe it or not, I was the second guest ever back before she blew up and became a big deal. So these are my people. Like my kind of people. I also, in case you guys didn't hear any of the other hundreds of episodes, I live on and help to run a regenerative farm called Asprey Farms. And I grow my own meat. And the reason I do that is not because I'm a crazy picky son of a bitch. It's because you actually live longer and feel better. And I think it's morally beneficial to build soil for the planet. Uh, and to not mistreat animals and all that kind of stuff. So Autumn spent as much time as I have on coffee and butter on meat, and she's going to teach us some things about meat. Uh, so tell me about the history of Americans and meat. Why do we even think anything about meat versus bread? Like, why is bread supposed to be good for you? Yeah, it's fascinating, right? Because this message is so loud that meat is harmful. You'd think it was based on like evolution or maybe sound science, but it actually has its roots in religion and ideology and in business and in some flawed science. 
Like, why is bread supposed to be good for you? Yeah, it's fascinating, right? Because this message is so loud that meat is harmful. You'd think it was based on like evolution or maybe sound science, but it actually has its roots in religion and ideology and in business and in some flawed science. So it was, there's always been kind of this spiritual belief that meat, you know, wasn't clean or holy, but Seventh-day Adventist Ellen G. White, she actually founded the Seventh-day Adventist church and she had visions from God that told her a clean and holy diet the Garden of Eden diet was full of fruit and vegetables and whole grains and little, if any, meat. And she also believed meat was a stimulant that aroused sexual desire and would cause kids to masturbate. So one of her students, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, decided to create alternatives. Uh, he created the cereal industry, oh. Kellogg's Foods. Yeah. Uh, so, so these guys were talking to the same, we'll say the same angel who was masquerading as a good guy, but probably wasn't, who were whispering, stop eating meat, neuter yourself with your diet. And, and that's who trained Dr. Kellogg. Tell me more about cornflakes. Yeah. So cornflakes was, he was so inspired and kind of passionate about this mission because Ellen G. White taught that basically masturbating was akin to shooting yourself in the heart. And it was just, you know, a deadly, deadly sin. So he created up to 30 patents uh, for cornflake cereal, also created the first meat alternative. Um, she, she's an yeah. anatomy lesson because it's hard to shoot yourself in the heart that way. <laughs> yeah. Trying to figure yeah. that out. Anyway, it, that, that's not how <laughs> biology works either. Okay. <laughs> No, so yeah, those were um, her teachings. And so he was very heavily influenced by that. And that's just where a lot of our processed cereals and our first official meat alternative was produced. And um, and also Seventh-day Adventists have a big hand in, you know, the Dietitians, Dietitians Association, and they own a lot of hospitals in the country, and they have some sway in our dietary guidelines. And, you know, I know not all religious people believe this, but... They definitely do, and they seem to wield some power. And I actually know some really healthy Seventh Day Adventists. To be to be that's super what I mean. clear, um, it's yeah. not like it's never been done. But they're um, they're mostly vegetarian, right? They don't have to be vegan, or yeah, I don't think they have to be vegan. No, yeah, I think you, it's little meat is also acceptable. You can pull off vegetarianism. I don't think it's as good as eating some collagen and some grass fed meat, but at least you're getting grass fed animal fat in the form of dairy protein. And that's what they do in India. Like this whole vegan thing is like, whoa, but okay. So we have religious cultists who taught us that brown bread and all sorts of other things are somehow better for us than what royalty and Kings have been eating for a very long time, which is fish and meat. Um, so we, we had the, the nice, um, religious side, and then we had the anti-sex side. So it seems like the U.S. is trash from a puritanical perspective. <laughs> wow. We're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And there are other interesting influences as well, but that's definitely been... So we have all these, I'm just going to say it, crazy people trying to tell us not to eat meat for no good reason. Like, because sex and masturbation is bad. Okay, that's wrong. That's nourishing for humans. That's what sex is. Just like me. And then um, one group, the old group, was channeled from an angel who said to eat whatever the heck Adam and Eve ate. And then the other one, more recently, we have like 1970s nutritionists saying fiber, ignoring everything else. And then we have the most recent, I downloaded from angels that if you eat a meal every two hours a day, like the 1970 doctors, you won't die despite all the evidence to the contrary. So 
what happened over the past 30 years with red meat consumption because they said red and processed meat as if they're the same things. Like if I was to say wine and cyanide together are bad for you, you'd be like, well, which one was it? Anyway, so what happened to our meat consumption over the last few years? Did it work? That's what's fascinating is when you look at the data, there was a recent 2022 analysis and between 1800 and 2019, Processed foods went from below 5% to above 60%. I think everybody knows that. Red meat consumption declined by 44%. Butter declined by 68%. Lard declined. Dairy and cream fat declined. So That's why heart disease these... has been going down, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It runs. It has an inverse yeah. relationship with heart disease. So Everyone it, it really weight. doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone lost weight because we ate less red meat and everyone's less obese now than in all of human history. It's like it, the government was right. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, we're just missing something there, right? Sugar, refined carbohydrates, Whoa. processed vegetable oils. These are all increasing precipitously. Meanwhile, so it, red meat Meanwhile, it didn't sweet. work. Like, so we ate 44% less meat. We ate like 50% less red milk. Meat. Red meat specifically. Uh, 50% less milk, although I would argue milk protein is probably not that good for you, except in some circumstances. 78% less animal fat, 68% less butter, and magically replace it with shitty oils. Pretty good <laughs> summary. Yeah, cooking oils actually increased by 329% during that period. So yeah, that's a great summary. And it's really sad that more people don't understand. Okay, grass-fed meat, which is what you've been focusing on. It, it's at the core of how I healed from the damage I did as a, as a vegan. Um, it's at the core of the Bulletproof diet. People lost millions of pounds on that, which is different than paleo, which is you know in the same quadrant of the map though. There's just some other stuff around avoiding certain veggies. Um, there's protein and then there's all kinds of proteins, but there's also fat. And if you had to say, all right, which is more important for you when you eat a grass-fed animal? Is it the grass-fed animal protein or the grass-fed animal fat? I think they're both very important uh, for... I'd say, well, because we're all eating so many poor quality fats, I'd say the fat's very important, but we're also also metal, metabolically broken. <laughs> Two out of 10 of us are metabolically healthy, so the protein's going to be equally as important. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I kind of think the fat's more important, but where does Mother Nature give you pure protein with no fat? Oh, no. nowhere. That's because the things <laughs> that make the most protein always have animal fats as part of their cell membranes minimally and usually with some fat stored in the middle. So you don't digest protein well without a little bit of fat, right? So the idea of you know a supplement that's just protein and nothing else is a relative recent invention of the food industry probably because they're selling the fat somewhere else for more money, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, like William and Proctor. Protein. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Let's take that fat out. Someone might masturbate and like, we'll use it <laughs> for someone else. And, and like, it's, it's sick and wrong. So, all right, let's assume that you need protein and you need the kinds of fat in grass fed animal that are different than corn fed animal and different than corn itself. Let's talk about just protein from grass fed animals and what the benefits of that protein are. And then we'll talk maybe some more about the fat. Cause I, like I said, they're kind of inseparable the way it normally comes. So talking about protein quality, what is protein quality measured with and where, where does red meat fall there? Yeah. So red meat is a very 
high quality protein because we're not eating for protein necessarily, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners understand, we're eating for amino acids. And so there's 20 amino acids, nine of which are absolutely essential that we get from our diet. And animal source proteins are complete proteins and vegetable source proteins are not complete proteins. They're often missing lysine, methionine, cysteine, all these other amino acids. And you can combine them, yes, but it takes more calories. It's not a, that convenient. And when we look at quality, like the digestible indispensable amino acid score, you will see animal protein or proteins are far higher, sometimes two times as high on the scale of quality as our vegetable-based sources. And you've done a good job of teaching people why, right? Vegetables have other, and vegetables and fruits have other things in them that can inhibit absorption. And they, again, don't contain all of those amino acids in the ratios that we need necessarily for proper protein synthesis. One of the things they taught me in seventh grade when I was getting really chunky um, was rice and beans is a protein. They actually taught that. And the fact that there are complete amino acids in it, they forgot to tell you it has four times as many calories as an equivalent amount of meat. So yeah, I'm going to get all my protein that I need, but literally you are going to have a bloated stomach like the pregnant man icon that they now have, um, <laughs> which is like the dad bot icon. I think it's, it's very confusing and I'm triggered by that. Um, but what the heck? If you eat rice and beans for that, you are going to look really different after the meal. And if you do that for a long time, you're going to look really different all the time. And if you don't believe me, let's combine that with corn oil and vegetable oil. And then let's look at what's happening in Mexico right now and in much of South America. There is a huge problem with obesity and with diabetes that's even worse than in North America, even though people move around a lot more on average in Mexico than they do here, but they're eating less red meat because it's expensive. They're eating traditional rice and beans, which have protein, but they're putting bad fats on it instead of good fats, like manteca, which is lard. And yes, if you guys are wondering why I know that means lard, because I lived in a town called manteca when I moved to California, a little bit of trivia. It was named by a white guy who thought he was naming it sweet cream, which is mantequilla. So, <laughs> There you go. I lived in lard, literally. I went to lard high. <laughs> and you felt great. Yeah, if only they would have fed me that in my chicken nuggets at lunch, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> so back to reality. Rice and beans is not a protein just because it has complete amino acids. Um, and let's, just, let's assume that somehow you could extract all that stuff from rice and beans and throw away all the carbs and all the lectins and all the anti-nutrients, all the phytic acid that sucks minerals out of your body, and you didn't even have to fart when you are done with it. You'd have a handful of powdery amino acids when you were done, and you'd have done a lot of processing. If you took those plant-based aminos apart from all the other plant-based nonsense, um, would they be the equivalent of meat, or would the ratios be different? <laughs> If you took those plant-based aminos apart from all the other plant-based nonsense, um, would they be the equivalent of meat or would the ratios be different? No, the ratios would absolutely be different. And then they would be missing a lot of the cofactors too that are in whole foods and the synergy that help things be utilized in the proper way in the body. So no, plant-based protein powders are not going to be the same as a grass-fed steak. And they're also going to contain additives and they're going to have maybe exposures to heavy metals. And no, I just think it's silly for us to assume that they can perform the same way in the body just because they contain the same 
source are the same amino acids, even though they won't be in the proper ratios and they'll have a number of other additives and they won't have synergy on their side at all. What if it looks and tastes just like meat? Then it should do the same thing in your body as meat, right? <laughs> No, no. And you know what? They just did some research, Dr. Van Vliet. Do you know Dr. Van Vliet? I don't think yeah. so. Okay. He's this really cool researcher. He does a lot of metabolomics and they just analyzed plant-based burger versus, you know, a grass-fed beef burger. And I think something like 90% of the metabolites into the two products were completely different. And their research concluded, you know, not that one is better than the other necessarily, but that there are clearly demonstrable differences between plant-based burgers and grass-fed meat. All right. Uh, we've got to talk more about digestible aminos, but when we get there, but what about saving the earth? In fact, it, <laughs> I just saw a headline that like, it's a survival thing. We have to do it. Everyone has to go vegan right now to save the planet. Um, what, what's your take on that? Oh, well, they've actually done that thought experiment. Uh, it, I think her name was Robin White and Mary Beth Hall. And they looked at if 300 million Americans went vegan for a year, what would the reduction be in emissions? And they came up with a 2.6% reduction. And then there would be heavy nutrient deficiencies. And we'd eat, I think, 10 times more grain. And let's be honest, 100% of people are never going to go vegan. And so if we bring that down to 10%, which maybe happens, that's a 0.26% reduction in emissions, which is not even measurable. And then we have to realize that these emissions that we're are being attributed to animal agriculture are very misleading, the statistics they're using. And Dr. Frank Mitlerner, he's at UC Davis, has yes. actually shown that, yes, I'm sure you're familiar, 2% of emissions are related to cows. And I think crop agriculture was more around a 4.6 and animal or livestock was about 3.9. So crops were actually more responsible for emissions than were animal products. And beef was a measly 2%. Not that that's nothing. Of course, we can work on that. We're going to talk about how to work on that. Don't you know that all those crops are raised to feed the cows because cows need grain and corn and soy? No, because his research also shows, I think, 85% of what cows are eating, well, of all animals are eating, are things that humans aren't eating. So 16% is things that humans are eating, but most of those are going into chickens and pork. And not that that's inexcusable, but still, where they're eating, you know, foodstuffs that humans won't. So no, these are very overblown statistics. They're not so, even accurate. So cows and sheep are actually these amazing biotechnology marvels with a little bit of AI built in that can convert inedible things into edible things, right? We should definitely ban them. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They are the problem, right? We and and the elephant in the room. I can't eat and turn it into food because that's wrong. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, right? Especially <laughs> when coal, or coal, oil, and gas, you know, the elephant in the room is we're burning fossil fuels and that's creating a lot of emissions. But the cool thing about or regenerative agriculture is we've all been kind of managing against emissions. I think that's important, but we're not managing for the sequestration of greenhouse gases, carbon specifically. And I think that's the bigger problem. And that's something regenerative agriculture can do. So I am all about pulling excess carbon out of the air because I think it's actually a problem. I'm not convinced that it's caused by mankind, although it might be. I am 100% convinced that it's not caused by grass-fed cows because I know that they are <laughs> carbon negative and it's not that hard to do. But because I'm worried about the problem or let's say paying attention to the problem, worry is probably overbearing. Um, 
some people may have heard of Elon Musk's $100 million carbon capture X prize, um, where he agreed to that the first research group that could capture carbon um, at scale for, I think it was net negative, net negative carbon usage, um, that he would give them $100 million. But what a lot of people don't know is that for an X prize to be real, it needs a half a million dollars and it needs a prize committee. And the first $50,000 that went into the Carbon Capture X Prize and the big speech that got it added to the list was me. <laughs> like mm. way back in the day, because uh, I've been a, a sponsor of the X Prize um, uh, nonprofit. So I think it's a scalable way to bring technology out. So I believe in all ways of improving our planet. Like we can manage this on a planetary scale. But honestly, the people who should win the $100 million Carbon Capture X Prize are people who can scale grass-fed cattle farming so we take over the golf courses. If we would just do that, we would meaningfully improve the quality of soil and the quality of our air and the quality of our communities. It's not even as hard as you might think. Like no giga-scale carbon vacuum cleaners required, but I like those too. <laughs> totally. I think it's going uh, to take a number of solutions, like you said. And all around the world, there's a billion acres of kind of deserted farmland too. So like you said, there's just a lot of opportunities. We can do golf courses. We can do whatever. We can do parks. Yeah. We can do abandoned farmland. It's a lot of opportunity. There's a question from the Upgrade Collective that I hadn't considered, but it's an important one. You've seen all the people saying, but, but cows fart and they make methane and methane is a greenhouse gas. Has anyone measured how much humans fart when they eat grains instead of meat <laughs> and how much methane they produce. Cause the vegans I know, man, they have like, they have like <laughs> babies after they eat, like they get all bloated. And I know I was one of them and you're like, good thing they don't smell, but it turns out being vegan just turns off your smell receptors. Cause vegans, they do smell. We, we can tell. That's so funny. And we know that, you know, in grain finished cows, they emit less methane because they're not eating as much fiber. So I think this is a good argument. I think somebody should do this experiment. I don't know if anyone has, but I would hypothesize that vegans would emit more methane. For sure. Well, there we go. And also now I'm going to say this for real, the mineral depletion that is caused by eating all these grains that uh, use phytic acid and to some extent oxalic acid to take minerals out of your body which is why Kellogg and Graham liked them so much. They reduced zinc and all to reduce testosterone. Um, they put you in the hospital. Steve Jobs, pancreatic cancer, Ornish diet, zero fat. That stuff is real. So you have to account for yourself the carbon footprint of choosing to malnourish yourself with a plants-only diet. Now, eating some herbs, eating the right plants, and eating grass-fed animal protein is good for you. But if you're on the French fry diet, or the, oh, I only eat plants because, I don't know, God told me that that's all I should eat. Look, you are going to end up with way more medical problems, and those are consuming plastic at a stupidly high rate. So if you can stay out of the hospital by eating steak, which is totally provably going to happen if you're eating the right steak, not burning it, not doing all the stupid crap, like turning it into Slim Jims by adding MSG and stuff. Look, you're actually, you got to calculate your whole carbon footprint. And that said, you can make grass-fed, healthy, portable snacks like your Paleo Valley stuff. My kids love it because it's meat sticks made with grass-fed meat that's got only good stuff in it. 
right? So you can eat that. And then when you travel, you don't have to spend money and eat those weird like trays. Like they kept trying to feed me like, here, we have a gluten-free sandwich every two hours for your, you know, eight hour <laughs> flight. I'm like, let me sleep. I don't want, I don't eat your crap. Why would you eat in there anyway? And if I did, I would eat like a Paleo Valley stick, right? Or I'd have some coffee, but like you can do this around the place. So it's all munged up when you look at it, but you have to look into the full systems cost of your life. And if you end your life unable to think because you got Alzheimer's because you had no minerals because you ate fake food, your last 20 years of care come out of your environmental budget. And no one talks about that. That's absolutely 100% true. The best thing we can do for our planet is to stay healthy ourselves, right? Um, there you go. All right. Talk to me about nutrient density. This is one of my favorite mm. ones. What is nutrient density? How do you think about it? And let's make fun of it and use it at the same time. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yes. So nutrient density, historically, we were looking at, you know, amount of nutrients divided by calories. A lot of these rating systems will leave out, you know, animal-based nutrients. And so it looks like plants and vegetables are higher, or they might demonize a food for caloric content, which we actually need calories. So that's kind of silly or saturated fat content, which we now know is not as big an issue. But, but when you upgrade the nutrient density rating systems, you will see across the board, animal products are at the top, you know, things like oysters and organ meats are definitely high at the top of the list and beef. And, and then you'll see plant foods here, they're in the middle, they're on the bottom and then grains as well. And so nutrient density is one piece of the puzzle and animal products are definitely higher in that. And then there's the bioavailability piece too, which animal foods just have nutrients in a more bioavailable uh, way. Like you've talked, you've taught us so well. Um, we have these anti-nutrients in vegetables that inhibit that absorption. So for instance, with heme iron, uh, beef or, you know, meat-based iron is between 15% and 35% absorbable and plant-based non-heme iron is between two and 20. And so just because it says it on the label doesn't mean that's what you're going to absorb necessarily due to these other plant proteins or inhibitors, but then also due to your gut health and your age and other factors as well. So when you're looking at nutrient density, you could say, well, calories are bad. So I want lots of nutrients and low calories, right? That's kind of easy. You take a vitamin capsule and you pour it into a glass of water, which is really big, but has no calories. Or for that matter, you pour it into a Diet Coke. It doesn't really matter um, because you can ignore all the bad stuff in there. In fact, you could also add a couple lead sinkers, right? And a squirt of mercury in there, no problem. And you could even add like a high, a high dose of your favorite STI, you just squirt it right in there. It doesn't matter because all that matters is that there's no calories. And you could drink this horrifying concoction and woohoo, nutrients. And you're like, maybe that was dumb. But this is the basis of aggregate nutrient density index. They believe, seriously, that nothing matters except reducing calories and having some nutrients. When in reality, no one, including me, when I tried really hard as a raw vegan, can get enough energy from kale or broccoli, especially raw. I had bowls like bigger than my head and I would like finely dice it and chop it and blend it and add olive oil and all the other crap and sprouted and soaked everything. And you're constantly hungry because you can't even get enough energy in because it's mostly fiber, which has no energy and it's mostly water. So the real way to measure nutrient density is per volume of food. 
And then you realize that a cup of raw broccoli is not nutrient dense at all. It's mostly water. And a cup of beef liver is actually too much nutrient density for you. It's, it's just too much nutrients. You should probably eat less than a full cup of liver, plus liver is gross. Um, so take some liver capsules already. That's fine. But this is how to think about food. And to say calories are bad for you, Autumn, what do calories measure? Energy. Would you like to be low energy or high energy today? High energy. Every oh day. my God, you have to do that. Well, <laughs> no energy. That's how to do it. I said so because I'm against masturbation. Oh, sorry. I was channeling Dr. Kellogg. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Dr. Kellogg. Yeah. Go. yeah, channel them. It must be true. I'm just telling you. By the way, I have friends who channel and they're awesome and they really know how to do it. So I'm not saying channeling's fake. I'm just saying Dr. Kellogg was full of shit. <laughs> Literally, he was, he was yeah, a vegan. I'd like agree. he just couldn't stop it, right? It was all that fiber. <laughs> and methane. And methane. All right. <laughs> So I'm having too much fun with this because this is like my favorite topic because I got so sick when I was vegan and because I was intentionally trying to do it to be healthy. And when someone tricks you to drink diet soda to lose weight, knowing it makes you obese, so then you just drink more diet soda or the vegans do the same thing. They go, ha, we're actually traumatized. So we're going to tell you not to eat meat. We're going to tell you it's good for you, knowing it'll make you sick. So you'll eat more non-meat. It's, it's like these weird, sick, perverse little things going on. I don't, I don't get it, but, um, do you have to, in order to eat a steak, do you have to vote Republican? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, and that's regenerative agriculture is bringing those I worlds together. Hippies, right. And it, it, it <laughs> the whole party system. That's one of the problems I have in the grass bag. <laughs> It's like, you know, I want to put on my cowboy hat and get out my 50 cal, uh, and then I can eat a good red-blooded steak, but then I can't be regenerative. And if you're regenerative, apparently you just have to eat like those cattails because apparently there's something edible in the middle, and then you're like low testosterone. Like it doesn't work. So bottom line is um, it's, an, it's an apolitical thing, regenerative ag. It, it isn't red or blue, uh, and you can't put it into tribes. It's either I care about my own medical and health sovereignty, and I care about the world I live in because it matters, or I don't. And you just, you can't put that in a party. So I, I want to make that really clear. You can say, you know, you can try and put it, also, you don't have to support a certain sports team or believe that one country in a conflict is right versus another. Dude, you get to feel good or you get to not feel good. And you get to create a world where your kids can have kids or they can't have kids. That's all this is about. There, anyone who tries to put you in a, in a group about this is, is misguided. And that said, you and I both know a lot of really good-hearted vegans. And are we 90% aligned with what they want for the planet? Yes. It's just a false assumption that it's going to be good for you or the planet. It is not real. That's not how, not how it works. All right. But I couldn't be more. Yeah, I do feel the same way. I love a lot of vegans and I love their heart and I share their heart in a lot of ways. So, I I do too, yeah. right? And um, so I've spoken at David Wolf's um, big vegan conference and I'm like, guys, I'm a lacto-ovo, beefo, porco vegetarian. I hope we can be friends. <laughs> did they accept you? They actually did. <laughs> I came back the next year and two thirds of them were adding ghee from grass-fed cows to their formerly vegan diets. And David now sells ghee. And I gave the talk about how wow. ghee helps you unlock your vegetables. So these are people who want to be healthy and they care about animals and the planet the same way I do. I don't eat industrial meat because it's evil, but I eat my own meat. I know because I looked it in the eye before we killed it and I ate it <laughs> and I thanked it. 
And it thanked me. Like it was an energetic exchange that was valuable and it was sacred and it was completely in integrity. And anyone who says it wasn't seriously needs to do EMDR and get a therapist because that is how the world works. And it is a sacred connection between humans and animals that has existed for many thousands of years. And there was nothing wrong or gross about it. Yeah. Now, I couldn't agree more. Uh, well, I mean, you run a company that makes high quality grass fed uh, meat. So yes, you and I both uh, might both be biased uh, in that I think coffee and meat are both good for you. I have a caffeine tattoo on my arm, but the muscle that holds <laughs> up the tattoo is made of grass-fed meat. So there's that. But you also there you go. You also could have made tofu <laughs> bars in the same amount of energy. This is what people don't understand about entrepreneurs: is that there are some out there who are just I'll do whatever is necessary to make money. Um, those are actually evil. <laughs> and there aren't yeah. that many of them, but there are some. Uh, usually they're mm -hmm. copycats. Um, they'll find something good and then they'll make a cheaper version of it that's not as good and say it's as good. But then there's other ones who are like, I'm going to put my time and energy for 10 or 20 years in something that I think matters more than anything else that I can do better. And that's what you've mm -hmm. done Paleo Valley for um, almost a decade now. Um, what's changed with grass-fed over the past almost 10 years you've done it? <laughs> Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. What's changed with grass-fed over the past almost 10 years you've done it? You know what? I think... What's changed for us is just the fact that knowing there's different flavors of grass feeding. When we first began, we were, you know, okay, grass fed, that just means, you know, they're out on grass. And we didn't understand this regenerative component until really my son was born and we started to really get to know the farmers that we were working with. And they kind of told us about, oh no, you know, continuous grazing can still be detrimental to the environment. It's what a lot of grass feeding operations are still doing. And so we learned, you know, these highly managed systems that incorporate cattle and moving them around, just like Dave's doing, uh, they have a, a potential to heal the environment and create really nutrient-dense food and restore ecosystem and biodiversity and the health of the soil biology and the fungi and the mycorrhizal fungi and all of that um, when it's done really well. And I, that was really exciting to us. And that's why we actually ended up founding our second company solely based on regenerative agriculture. And now Paleo Valley is also solely based on regenerative agriculture. But the thing in grass-fed that really changed for us, A, the trajectory is good. People are getting more interested in it. But then understanding the nuance and the very many flavors of grass-feeding was um, kind of an integral part for us too. I, um, I've done my best over the past, uh, I guess, 11 years now to, to put grass-fed at the very top of the list of awareness things that I'm working on because it's, it's fundamental to being healthy. And it's also fundamental to, if I'm going to live for another you know, 140 whatever years, which is my plan, 
we're going to run out of topsoil in 60 years. And I'm starting to pay attention to that because I'm going to have to deal with that. And I, I don't want to have to eat my neighbors, uh, but I'm willing to. <laughs> well, I'm glad you live not by me. <laughs> you're in Canada, right? <laughs> no, but yeah, no, Canadians you're right are so though. Polite. They say that they're sorry before they lay down on your grill. It's ridiculous. <laughs> they are pretty kind people. And the thing that I noticed too, when I learned is that a lot of people right now are focused on sustainability because it's important, like you said, but, but when 75% of our earth's land's been degraded and when we only have six years of topsoil left, we can't sustain that. We have to regenerate. We have to, there has to be an upward trend. We have to reestablish it to a more worthy state. And so that's for us what regeneration, why I can sustain it on my farm and you probably can on your farm. (laughs) It's just all these like people eating fake burgers right now. We're going to come and try and like see a little cupfuls of our soil to grow pea protein. And it's just, it's not going to work out for them because my cows will bite them. Let's just put it that (laughs) way. Yeah. And you saw, I mean, and, like you said, every farm, there's context, right? Uh, yeah. Everyone's different. But you saw the analysis from White Oak Pastures, I'm sure, where a pound or a kilogram of beef released 20, I think it was 33 kilograms of carbon into the atmosphere. And actually beyond meat, they did the same thing. And it was four. So appreciably better than conventional meat. But when you had regeneratively raised beef, it was actually a carbon sink and it was negative 3.5. So essentially, you'd have to eat a regeneratively raised burger to offset your Beyond Meat burger. You also have to, so for the carbon stuff, and also from the phytic acid perspective, um, in the first chapter of the of the Bulletproof Diet, you know, first, uh, I think first published 2011, if I remember it, 2014, something like that. It's like, guys, oxalic acid, lectins, and phytic acid in plants are coming after you, and so are mycotoxins, and so are histamines. And like <laughs> all of those over the past 10 years, we've been like going deeper on each of those different angles. And there's been big books about just lectins, but phytic acid hasn't had its moment in the sun yet, uh, but it's about to get it. And this is the thing that's blocking your minerals. In fact, we know about it so much because chickens and cows, if they're fed grains that are higher in phytic acid, it affects their growth rate. So they actually have Mm -hmm. to add enzymes to help the animals grow. But when they give it to you, they don't give you the enzymes they give to cows. And cows have three stomachs. So they can break (laughs) down phytic acid so they can build up that precious zinc and copper and magnesium and things like that that they need in their their tissues so that we can eat their delicious um, grass-fed ribeyes, uh, which should grow (laughs) on trees but don't. All right. Yeah, and to... I was just going to say, because our mineral levels are actually lower than they've ever been in our food anyway, according well, to well, that, a recent analysis. That's why Danger Coffee is full of trace minerals, because I'm like, we got to put this back in everyone, even if you know they don't eat meat, like we can do something. So just drink it every morning. Now, yeah. you have two companies though. Um, you t- you know, Paleo Valley is doing really well. My kids love the Paleo Valley stuff and they actually fight over them. Um, true story. Whenever you guys um, send it to me, and I sneak it over the border up here into Canada. What um, what's up with your new company though? Um, that's doing grass fed meat. Walk me through the difference between the two companies. Okay, so Paleo Valley was just a company that I created when I actually had 
IBS for over a decade. And so my husband begged me to try dietary change, which at the time seemed so silly because all the doctors told me it wouldn't matter. But what I did, when I did the paleo diet, all my symptoms went away. It was, it was kind of miraculous. So we just, I actually was on a world tour at the time and I couldn't quite figure out how to maintain this lifestyle. I was, it's you know, <laughs> it's, it's really hard. I was in a different country every day and I was like, wow, this is not easy to maintain. I was eating pistachios, apples. Anyway, when I got home, I said, I have to make this reasonable for people uh, because I didn't want to spend my life in the kitchen. And so we just started with the grass fed beef stick uh, because it seemed to be animal products were really important. And subsequent research has shown really important for mental health, which I definitely struggled with. And then we just kind of went from there. Organ meats, our organ complex came in because I got pregnant and I got tired. And my husband tried every which way to sneak liver in and I couldn't. It's just, it's not happening for me. So we put it in capsules and it's, you know, we have an apple cider vinegar complex and a food-based vitamin C, but at the crux, it's just really high quality, the best quality we can find organic and regeneratively raised, you know, all the time, never cutting corners, never adding weird additives, and just the staples that you can have around for your daily whatever, whatever you're doing to keep yourself really, really healthy. And then Wild Pastures is actually, after my son was born, it was knowing the farmers and them teaching us about the nuance in regenerative ag versus just grass-fed and and we were learning that these other box meat companies were actually bringing the meat in from other countries. And I thought, wow, well, we're just missing a giant opportunity to create an incentive for American farmers, create food sovereignty, create rehabilitation of the soil biology. And so we just created a network. These farmers were telling us, we love these regenerative practices. We think there's you know powerful potential, but we don't want to market ourselves. Okay, and so that, what we did was- Wild Pastures. That's the name of that company. That's wild pastures. And what okay. we did was we, you know, we keep it at wholesale prices too. So we don't want this to be an elitist thing. We were hearing people really had a heart and wanted to participate. They couldn't find this kind of meat. And then when they did, they couldn't afford this kind of meat. And so we just wanted to break down both barriers. And so wild pastures is just meat delivery, 15 or 25 pound boxes, all regeneratively raised, all from America. And then we deliver it directly to your door. So we also break down that convenience barrier, which is such an issue for people. And we use local deliveries, you know, compostable packaging. We're using solar powered facilities. We have one electric car. We're hoping to expand that, but we are just thinking of the environment in every single aspect of our company. So I'm, I love this idea and something that I have done for a very long time is I order like 50 or 100 pounds of red meat at a time, um, like since like 2005 uh, because <laughs> it's so much cheaper when you do that. If you get a lot of ground, uh, it's usually maybe half the price of what you'll pay by going and buying it fresh. And what you don't understand is that when you go and you buy that fresh food, it's actually not fresh. It's been uh, butchered sometimes six weeks ago, and it's held in these big, uh, like cryo cryo sealed uh, wet bags of meat that preserve it for a long period of time and keep it wetter so they can charge more for it. Uh, it's called you know, wet aging, basically. And so once they take that out and they they put it, they cut it open, they put it there uh, as fresh meat. Yes, it hasn't been frozen, uh, but it's it's gone through a lot. Let's put it that way. And since I have my own animals and since you know this, cause you work all the time, it turns out the amount of time that the animal was spent hanging after it's butchered changes the flavor, but it also changes the nutrient profile and all that. So I'll just say going to the store and buying a defrosted grass fed ribeye for 25 bucks, that's an amazing luxury. But if you want a grass fed ground and you ordered it, 
from wild pastures, you're going to pay a small fraction of what it would cost for Mm -hmm. what we expect it to be. And yes, you can have a very healthy pound of ground meat cooked with some veggies. It takes one pan. And that's what I've done for the vast majority of my meals. Now though, I have my own animals, so it makes it easier. I just like go out and take a bite of one. It's totally fine. I haven't done that, but maybe I should. So how on the cob, it works. So normal. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's good. All right. So um, wild pastures, you have one electric car. How do you deliver to all 50 states or do you? Like what's the delivery <laughs> range for wild pastures? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like we are doing the best we can. Where we started, we weren't able to afford them. And now we are, we're kind of moving up the chain. But yes, Every We just went national and we're trying to get little warehouses in every region. Right now we have one in Southern California, one in Phoenix, one in Denver, and we're working on getting one in Atlanta. But yes, everyone in the United States can order now. We're doing local deliveries whenever possible, UPS when it's not or FedEx when it's not. But we're working. We're just hoping to get bigger and bigger and to make it, you know, tighter and tighter as we go. Uh, One of my dreams when I started the Upgrade Cafe in Santa Monica about, oh, geez, eight, nine years ago. It used to be called the Bulletproof Cafe. Um, And it was that I wanted to have regular grass-fed, grass-finished beef only on the menu. And I've maintained that the entire time, uh, even through the pandemic and everything. But I wanted to feature local ranchers. So like for for this three months, I'm going to just pick a local ranch and just shine a light on why their meat is special and charge, you know, an extra dollar or two that goes to the farmer for their meat for that period of time. Mm. And I got blocked and I got blocked because the, the requirements for restaurants to sell meat for how it's butchered are different than for you or me to buy meat that's frozen or buy it at the local farmer's market or something. So we couldn't do it. And what people don't understand is that the big meat companies, most of whom now are owned by China, they're not even owned by the US, they control butchers and these regulations to require small farmers who take great care of their animals and name them the way that we do and actually really put love and attention and care and and nourishing into the animal. Um, Sometimes you have to truck it across a state to a traumatic, low-quality butchering facility because of law that was put in place by the people who own the butchering facilities. And it's really not cool. And then they put laws in place. So restaurants can't serve locally sourced beef in many states. It all depends. So California blocked that. How do you get around that? Is your stuff like, I guess you don't, you can't serve a lot of it in some restaurants in some states, but you're sending it directly to consumers who are free to eat it if they, if, if they want the best stuff. Exactly. Yeah. We haven't had that same problem. And we actually just opened a restaurant in Colorado. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, because we were long in ground beef and there wasn't a great grass-fed burger place around here. So we opened one and there's no sugar in the whole place. The fries are cooked in tallow. It's just, you know, everything that we believe in. But uh, in Colorado, it's possible. I'm sorry about California though. Uh, Yeah. Lots of things are not possible in California, like sanity and low taxes. Uh, very, very <laughs> I used bad. to live there. I know it well. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time for yeah. me. Yeah. All right. So let's assume by now people listening are saying, okay, there might be something to this grass-fed stuff, but I'm still not convinced. Um, what studies have you seen on what happens when you feed cows grass? Tell me about <clears throat> secondary compounds and what those are. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So the literature is kind of all over the place, but we know that, you know, higher levels of antioxidants, more omega-3s, better fatty acid ratio, but secondary compounds. Dr. Provenza 
is such a champion in this area. And he is doing a lot of these metabolomics analyses where he's looking at, you know, 50,000s of metabolites and he's finding that they change dramatically and the levels of these secondary compounds are enhanced so they are so precipitously precipitously enhanced when diverse forage is fed. So it's the least high or you're getting the lowest level of secondary compounds when it's a monoculture or like one type of grass. And then, you know, in the middle is in the middle and then the highest levels when it's as diverse as possible. And so these secondary compounds are, you know, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, antifungal, anti-cancer. They have a number of different benefits and we've kind of just brushed past them. But luckily I'm actually getting ready to do my dissertation and Dr. Van Vliet is going to see, we already have established that the amounts of secondary compounds are far higher when the animal eats grass. But what we need to look at now is what does that matter for human health? Right. And there was a really preliminary study in kangaroo. Do you know this study? No, do tell. Okay, it's a beautiful study in 2010 where they looked at eating wild kangaroo, you know, consuming grass versus a feedlot beef. And what did that do to levels of interleukin-6 and CRP and just markers of inflammation right after the meal? It was a crossover trial, so people ate both. And they found dramatically lower levels of inflammation in the kangaroo. Now, of course, this is confounded because it's not a cow-to-cow comparison. But what Dr. Van Vliet at Utah State is now doing is running that same trial cow to cow, not only we, you know, feedlot and then regeneratively raised, but then also plant-based. And so we'll be able to ascertain exactly how that affects human health, even though we can probably assume it's going to impact it favorably. And there's been other research in, you know, cheese uh, to suggest it does. And even a few studies that showed lower levels of triglycerides. Uh, But yeah, the missing piece is kind of how does this matter for human health, even though we can definitely say there are clear differences in the nutrients when an animal's fed grass and um, grain. I want to see someone do a study and maybe someone who's, who's working with one of the professors you're working with can do it. I want to see red in processed meat, whether you see industrial meat and you know all the, the nasty things that they do to it versus grass-fed meat. It's like, oh, you mean they're yeah. different? Be- because we know <laughs> that they're different, right? And there's so many different points there, but no one's just done a whole thing. So eventually, every time someone says plant-based protein, you can laugh at them. Uh, because they didn't say which <laughs> plant-based protein, because they all do different things. Who would have thought, right? Uh, like sarin, the nerve gas is a plant-based protein. It does something different than hemp protein, at least last I heard. <laughs> so there's that, <laughs> right? And then we could also look at red and processed meats all run together like that and go, oh my God, they do something different than carefully cooked, carefully raised meat. And so if someone says animal protein, animal fat is bad for you, they're dumb. And if someone says plants are good for you or bad for you, they're dumb too until they tell you which meat and which plant. It's just more specific than that. But I, I think you're going to you're going to really shed some light on it when you say, well, here's what happened to humans who ate it versus just it happening. Are you going to look yeah, at Yeah, and the genome? other – Yeah, go ahead. Am I going to – oh, gosh, the genome? Yeah. Is that what you're going to say? Uh-huh. Gosh, I, I hope so. And I also want to look at um, – the microbiome, even though Dr. Van Vliet has said the changes will, you know, they won't necessarily be meaningful in a small trial, but I don't know exactly what they're looking at yet, but I can say, and this is really cool too, another project he's doing is not only what happens when you eat one regeneratively or, you know, grass-fed meal, but what happens when your whole diet consists of that. And those are longer trials, you know, it'll be a few years, but I think you'll see 
amazing benefits there, especially if you can see a benefit in the very beginning, you know, in that one trial, at least in 2010. Okay. I, uh, I think we're going to learn a lot more about that. And as a final bit of learning for listeners, uh, can you talk to me about the incredibly bizarre labeling that's on meat? Like I, I raise meat. I know a lot about meat. I walk into the store and I'm just like, if it's not grass fed, grass finished, I'm not eating it. And then I don't have to pay attention to all the garbagey marketing underneath it. So uh, cage-free, free range. You know what? That just doesn't really mean what we think it does because a lot of times it just means there's going to be a door somewhere that they, that they could access but probably don't and that they're still in cement blocks, thousands of animals together. And so I wish that meant more. That one's kind of evil. Um, no added hormones on pork or chicken. That's illegal. So that's kind of a, you know, distracting you from the other more important questions. Made in America is a crazy one because you can actually just process a product in America and have it, you know, brought in from another country. So I think that's pretty evil. Including meat, right? So you could literally have like a, a, a chicken that was raised in China, um, on an industrial waste site and bring it in, it would say made in America. Exactly. And I think it's really important, you know, especially post pandemic, people want to know they're supporting America and creating that food sovereignty. And that just kind of blows that out of the water. And that's exactly why, you know, a lot of the other meat delivery services, they're grass fed, but they're not domestic. So uh, I think that's kind of evil. I think that humanely raised is evil. You want a third party certification. Okay, to make sure that the animals, if that's something you care about deeply, because humanely raised, there's no regulation there. And then lastly, I think grass fed, I think it's tricky because, you know, it's not regulated unless you get something like American Grass Fed Association, who's coming in with their third party certification. And they're they're making sure that these animals, you know, are eating only grass for their whole entire lives and, and on and on. But just grass fed as label is slightly evil. I say it's the least evil, but it's slightly, slightly evil still. Okay. Slightly evil, but not that bad. Yeah. Okay. I think it's evil. Yeah. It's, it's on the evil scale. All right. Uh, and then when you're going to eat it, if it says grass-fed, but it doesn't say organic, what do you think? Ooh, yeah. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. I forgot. And organic, too, also doesn't necessarily mean the cow is eating grass or on pasture, right? And so, Yeah. I, uh, for me, I like American Grass-Fed Association's label better than organic. But if it's organic and grass-fed and American Grass-Fed Association certified, I think that's best case scenario. But I've never seen that, but I would eat that if I saw it. I kind of look at the organic standard as being, I wanted to pay more and I I probably (laughs) bought it from a big company because, especially in coffee, the organic standard puts small farmers out of business. It's so expensive to meet all their paperwork and stuff um, that you have yep. to sell sell your small family farm that you've had for five generations to a big company so it can be organic so you can get a dollar a pound more. Um, Free Trade Alliance, or sorry, Fair Trade Alliance uh, coffee is far better. And when it comes to grass-fed meat, I want to see grass-fed before I want to see organic. And yes, it'd be nice if they didn't spray, but you're not going to spray Roundup on your grass to feed your cows because it kills the grass, right? So yeah. you generally don't have to worry about it. If it's if it's grass-fed and grass-finished, you could do it. But you could feed genetically modified dried grass to cows, and a few companies do do that. But even then, I think you're better off because even the genetically modified grass probably wasn't sprayed with glyphosate. Any thoughts on that? Right. 
No, I, I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. And we actually, in the beginning of our business, we worked with a lot of those farmers who couldn't necessarily obtain that certification because they just didn't have the the resources. And we worked with them and we found out, yeah, most of them, they're not doing anything to the soil or to the land that would harm it anyway. And they're good people who just had a smaller system. So no. I yeah. Agree. I learned the same thing in, in coffee. Like, yeah, we couldn't afford pesticides, um, so we didn't use them. <laughs> Right. And, you know, we used animal poop to fertilize because, you know, it was free and we wanted to eat the cow. And like, that's how it works. Um, it is a bit of a problem in North America, though, because if you are a conventional cattle farmer and you're converting over to being grass fed, maybe not organic, you could do stuff that you just don't know is harmful because it's how you've always right. done it. But it's not how your grandfather would have done it. Right. So I think we're right. just we're going back and we're fixing the system. And I'm, uh, I'm so impressed because the people who go grass fed when there's a drought, they survive and all the conventional ones don't because they mm. have enough vegetable matter, enough topsoil to capture water. So this is about sustainability of the business and the planet. So I'm all about yeah. that. Um, talk to me about what happens when you're eating local. And I love what you're doing um, with your meat delivery company because you know it is local, but um, what happens when there's adequate local farms in an area? Like, what does it do economically? What does it do to the cost of the meat? Yeah, and that and so important is that it is as local as possible. We are still, you know, finding mm -hmm. every farm, you know, up to our standards, and so it isn't always going to be local. But but food sovereignty, like you said, these big companies like Smithfield, they own fifty thousand acres in Missouri, right? And so these CEOs and far off companies are making, you know, outsourcing their pollution and making decisions that affect your community directly. Whereas when you can eat locally and they can have farms like this, then the farmer has a great life. We have an investment. There's a different kind of con like commitment to the land when you know the farmer is making decisions that directly affect the people in that community. And again, like we are protected from food shortages, right? If we get in you know, uh, <laughs> an altercation with another country and they cut off our supply, then what are we supposed to do? And again, we miss the opportunity to rehabilitate the soil that literally in the community that we are living in. And like you said, it's, it's beyond like just sequestering carbon. We're making water. We were storing aquifers and we're allowing it to come into the water and to be held by the soil. We're creating biodiverse communities. Like we're bringing the insects and the, the pollinators back and the animals. And um, we're only as good as the health of our soil, right? And so when we're restoring communities, when it's a local operation, we're helping the environment, we're helping people create more nutrient dense foods, security, job security is there, and just food security and food sovereignty happens as well. Thanks for making a company that's made a difference, actually two of them. This is sacred work. Uh, hmm. Nourishing your community and others really is a sacred act. And creating food for people matters um, more, I think, than most of us really know about. And it's not just how does it taste. It's not just how did it look. And it's not just even how was it prepared by a certified French chef. It's what went into making the food into food before we cooked it, before we plated it, before we smelled it, before we added the herbs and the salt and all the other good stuff. It all matters. And if you get the foundations wrong, I don't care if it looks and tastes good if it's not. And what you're doing is the hardest to see, the most thankless part of it, but the most important part because all the rest doesn't matter if you get this wrong. So keep mm. doing it. I won't quit. No, I love this work. And it is hard, like you said, but we're – 
keep it on this trajectory. I grew up in Montana and people used to laugh at me 10 years ago when I said grass fed, it's a thing. They're like, no, it's not. You're chasing, you know, I don't know what you're thinking, but, but yeah, it's here. The time is now and we're going to keep at it. All right. I'm, uh, I'm with you there. That's a great ending point. But before Chris stops it, um, upgrade collective, you guys want to ask autumn any questions? Um, Adrian, you had a really cool question. Um, did you want to ask it? Okay. She wants to ask it for her. Okay. She wants to be on the other screen. Um, she's saying, um, what, why are the beef sticks fermented and are there benefits from that from Paleo Valley? Just a great question. So when I kind of got on this health crusade and was able to reclaim my health, I noticed on my tour that it was, you know, something about the grass fed beef sticks I was buying was still bothering my stomach. And so I looked into what they were using and I found this ingredient called encapsulated citric acid, which is kind of the industry standard because it's, it's more lucrative because it speeds the process up, but it was made from GMOs and then they coat it in hydrogenated oil. And then it, these little beads just melt into the stick and that preserves it. Right. Um, so we fermented it because I just didn't want to use that ingredient. And I didn't know if it was something that was causing problems for me, but I thought, you know, if there's any chance I, I want to do it better. And I knew that our ancestors were fermenting meat way back in the day. And so, yeah, we fermented and I do think there are benefits. Um, it's a simple process. Obviously it's just we're feeding sugar to bacteria and that's creating lactic acid that's preserving the stick. Initially there were probiotics in the beef sticks, but after having water quality issues, we've, we've had to take the water activity down. And so there aren't actual probiotics in there anymore, but they are different. They're like a moist there. There's a snap. They're easily digestible. I've even heard people who are coming off of like a vegan diet or vegetarian diet. It's just easy to absorb. Uh, or easy to digest, far easier um, than other meat sticks would be. And of course, you're missing out on all those uh, other additives that are in there as well. It, it turns out that meat fermentation has been a, a longstanding part of how we preserve things like pepperoni and a lot of the hung sausages and things like that. Um, so we'd have smoking, salting, and fermenting are the three ways you'd, you'd preserve meat. And when it's fermented, you can have higher histamine in the food. Right. Yeah. So people are histamine sensitive, which is a lot of autoimmune things. A lot of people long COVID, they don't do as well if it's fermented. And I think the new way of doing it with less water activity, so it probably also has lower histamine in the Paleo Valley sticks and the newer ones. Yeah, I would imagine so, even though I can't confirm that. But okay, got it. And what is uh, what's the name of your restaurant in Colorado? People asking for that as well. It's called Wild Pastures Burger Company, and it's in Boulder, and it's right on Pearl, right by Whole Foods. And please come see us. We have a really strong local following, but love to have you. Autumn, it's been great fun. Thanks for putting up with my odd sense of humor, <laughs> which is amplified <laughs> by my coffee and my adjusting to this time zone. Uh, it's been great fun. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've had a blast, and I just appreciate you and all you're doing too. So, thank you for connecting and for doing the good or you fighting the good fight and uh, you, just letting me be here. You got it. Upgrade Collective, thank you guys for being here and being a part of the conversation. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.